Even in the trial, even in the test, my God is still good. I will praise him for it. Jesus, in the name of Jesus. It's so good to see each and every one of you tonight here at FPC. So thankful for your faithfulness to the house of God. God is doing great things in Anderson. And it's through the faithfulness of you precious people and, and that your love and desire to prayer and to seek after the heart of God that his spirit is able to move through this church. So thank you. I commend you tonight. In Jesus' name. If you are new here, welcome to FBC. Make sure that... It's all right. Let's give him a hand clap. Make sure you stop by the front and grab a connect card. We have a small thank you for being in service with us. We're so glad that you joined us tonight. We do have one more quick announcement. Uh, the ladies will be meeting right here in the fellowship hall directly after service uh, to coordinate the dinner for Sister Barbara Gill's funeral on Monday night. So if you can help with that, please meet with the ladies in the back in the fellowship hall directly after service. It feels good in here tonight, church. Amen, amen. Brother Wendell, thank you so much for allowing the youth to be down here tonight and, and leading worship with us. Sister Morgan, thank you so much. And this praise team, what a wonderful job you all did tonight. There's a lot of preparation and a lot of prayer that goes into uh, setting an atmosphere like what we feel right now. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Would you turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11? I want to give honor to my pastor tonight. He's still in California. If you did not catch his message Sunday night at the Elk Grove, uh, the Rock Church, you missed the message because he, he flat preached the house down. We had a little watch party till about 11.30 the other night, uh, Sunday night, with me, myself, and I, and Kate, and Stephen, and we had a great time watching our pastor preach. Before I ever came to FBC, Pastor St. Clair was a mentor and an example of what it meant to be a man after God's own heart. And I, wouldn't, I can honestly say that I would not be who I am today or where I am today if it wasn't for the loving guidance of my pastor in my life. I'm thankful for our pastor tonight. Hope you've been reading along um, in our Focus 52. We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We are going to start on verse 8, which is our Focus 52 scripture for this week. And we're going to continue down to verse 10. And then we're going to go over to Mark for a few verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 8. It says, But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, let him remember the days of darkness. For they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. All that cometh is vanity. If it comes, it will go. Money comes, it will go. Riches come and riches will go. Church, better have your feet planted on something that isn't going to fade away. That isn't going to come and go. Verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. And let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. And walk in the ways of thine heart. And in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou... That all for these things God will bring thee into judgment. See, there's going to be some things that look good to your fleshly eyes. And there's going to be some things that feels good in your heart. But be warned that God will bring these things into judgment. One more verse. Uh, verse 10. Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. 
If you'd also tr- turn with me to Mark chapter 10. This is a story that we have heard time and time again. It, the story of the rich young ruler. And I believe that this story holds the key to unlocking these verses that we have just read in Ecclesiastes. We'll I'll start in Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. And it reads, And when he, speaking of Jesus, was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. I'm good. Got him checked off, got him covered. And then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now watch this, verse 22. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Church family, there are a lot of stories in Scripture. There are a lot of times we read in Scripture where things don't go quite as the the main character had thought they would go. But this is perhaps the greatest tragedy in Scripture. Because in this story, we find the story of a young man with potential, a young person with a calling on their life who refused to turn from the things of this world that he had tied himself to, and he missed his window of opportunity. And he disappears from the face of Scripture. Would you turn to your neighbor tonight and tell them your window is here? Turn to your other neighbor, tell them, don't miss it. I'm going to read one more verse in your hearing. If my people, St. Chronicles 7:14, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. By the grace of God and with your permission, I want to preach to you tonight. It's time to turn. Would you put your Bibles down and would you lift your hands before the Lord tonight and let's welcome his presence in this place. God, I pray that you'd begin to move in this house tonight, that you'd prepare our hearts and you'd prepare our spirits. Lord, that you would open us up to receive a word from you tonight. God, I believe you're going to do something great in this place. I believe you're going to pour out your spirit in this place. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, that you'd prepare us to receive your word in the name of Jesus. Would you clap your hands and you may be seated. Church family, I believe that this book is the infallible word of God. I believe that when Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 5, 3, and 16, when he said that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, I believe when he said all, that he meant all. 
every word, every line, every page, every chapter, every book, the Old Testament, the New Testament, if it is written in this book, it is applicable to our lives. I don't believe that any of these stories, any of these commandments have lost their relevance to us today. I believe that every word, every word is profitable and is given by inspiration of God. See, throughout this book, we find different types and different ways that the, the scripture aims to bring this about. And at times, it does its correction and instruction by flat out telling us how we ought to live. We find places in Proverbs and in Exodus when the Ten Commandments are given. I still believe those are applicable and relevant to us. Amen. We also find, like we have been reading in Ecclesiastes, that the preacher, as he is called in the book, gives warnings on the foolishness of setting your eyes on the things of the world. We read in chapter 11 and verse 8, the preacher says, But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. He says, remember the days of darkness. It's the dark days. It's often the trials and the turmoil of life. It's when we're walking through the dark days that it makes us turn our eyes towards the light of heaven. It's often that we find in our darkest days and in the midst of our hardest and harshest trials that we find ourselves in seasons of effectual, fervent, Prayer. He goes on to say, all that cometh is vanity. That means if it comes by this world, it's going to go by this world. See, jobs are going to come and go. Money is going to come and go. Trials and struggles are going to come and go. Friends will come. And sometimes friends will go. He says, all that cometh is vanity. Why? Because if you try and keep your hands grasped tightly around something that was only supposed to be in your life for a season, you won't grow as a person and you aren't going to grow as a disciple of Christ. Can I tell somebody in the Holy Ghost tonight that there may be someone in your life that you have been begging to keep sticking around and you have been begging for them to stay around in your life. But can I tell you that if they are drawing you closer to this book, that if they are doing anything to distract you from your walk of God, you need to just let them go. Because you can't worry about fixing your grasp on someone who is only supposed to be in your life for a season. Because the harder you try and grab onto that thing, the harder it will be for God to move in you and through you. All that cometh is a vanity. If it comes, it will go. I want something stronger than that will come and that will go. I want to plant my feet on the infallible word of God that even if the grass withereth, even if the flower fadeth, that the word of God is going to stand forever. The scripture tells us that he which was... And which is, and which is to come. That tells me that he didn't just come, because if it comes, it goes. But he always was, and always is, and always will be. And that's what I'm going to grasp a hold of. 
He says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. Not going to lie, I was very confused when I first read this. For a second, when you first look at this verse, it almost seems, Brother Stephen, that that the Bible does indeed... um, how do you say, portray or encourage a hedonistic viewpoint of life, that pleasure is all that matters. But keep on reading the rest of the verse. He says, but know, but know thou, that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Does that mean God's going to strike me down with a lightning bolt from heaven? Maybe. (laughs) It happened in scripture, I'm not going to put it past them. But maybe it just means that while you have, while you're following the things that you have your eyes set on in your flesh, if only your focus of your heart is the things of this world, that God's not going to be able to open some doors for you that he wanted to open. There's going to be some opportunities that were supposed to be presented to you to farther your ministry, to farther your reach in your family, to farther your reach in this community. But as long as your eyes are on the things of the flesh, those doors aren't going to be able to be opened. See, there's something more to the judgment of God than just what He will put on you. But sometimes it is what we are preventing ourselves from reaching. You see, you can't have an anointed ministry and see your family saved when the only thing you're focused on is what looks good to your eyes and feels good in your heart. Which, by the way, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Church family, there are some things that you simply must let go of before God can work in you and through you. And while the the scriptural truth found in these passages ought to be enough to shake us to our very core, it, it is often times that at least I have found that the truths found in, in verses like this don't quite become illuminated until I can see them acted out. And luckily, Scripture gives us many instances of stories and lets us look into the lives of men to see these principles played out. That There are times where we get to see the entire life of a man played out in Scripture. This is certainly true of Moses, that we get to see him from birth to leading the children of Israel out of Egypt to the decision to smite the rock that prevents him from entering the promised land. We get to see his whole life played out in front of us in Scripture. We get to watch David that from a young man, we watch how God prepares him as he's tending his father's sheep. We see him kill the wolf, the bear. We watch as his skill with the sling increases to the point where he slays a lion. We get to see the divine hand of God resting on him and preparing him for the moment that he would turn and face Goliath and deliver all Israel from the hands of the Philistines. We get to witness him grow old. And he makes a decision to kill Bathsheba's husband and take her to wife. And we watch the child die as a consequence. We get to see his entire life played out for us throughout the scripture. But sometimes we don't get that luxury. We only get to see a glimpse. We get to see but a small window into the life of someone in scripture. 
This is certainly true in the story of Cain and Abel. The story only lasts a few sentences, but it gives a glimpse into the moment that Cain raises up. And he makes the decision that alters the course of his life. And he slays his brother. And when we see that action, and when we see that decision, it reveals to us something deeper than just Cain slaying his brother. It gives us a glimpse into the thought process and the things that Cain valued in his life. And this is the kind of window that we are given into the life of the young man recorded in scripture as the rich young ruler. We find his story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We are allowed but a glimpse into the moment that Matthew Henry would call the moment of divine providence in his life. See, it's a moment that should have been recorded in history as the moment with when a young man stepped into his calling and fulfilled his potential. We should have been left with the detailed encounter of a man who, after living a life under divine preparation of God, stepped into his purpose and destiny. But instead, we're left with the story of a young man who with potential failed to heed the warning laid out in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. A man who walked in the ways of his own heart. A man who followed after the things that seemed right to his own eyes. He turned away from all the preparation that God had sent him through. And he fell into the path of least resistance. And fell under the judgment of God. The question that we are left with is... Why? A young man with potential, someone with anointing and calling on their life, turning away from the Savior himself. Why? Well, we don't know a a lot about the rich young ruler. We don't know when he was born. Scripture doesn't tell us who his mother was. doesn't tell us who his father was. We don't know when he died. But what we do know is that he is a rich, young ruler. About what we got. Now, I kind of feel a bit like the rich young ruler tonight. I'm at least one of those three things. And I'll let you use your discernment on which of those three things it is. (laughs) Some people with anointing in here, they got that real quick. It's young, in case you were wondering. (laughs) But we know that he's a rich, young ruler. Well, rich and ruler makes sense in our minds, right? We can reconcile that. When we think of a ruler, we think of a king in, in costly array, sitting on a big throne with people fanning him and feeding him grapes. We get that image. That image makes sense. But here's the first problem we have with that. Is that Judea at this time is not under its own rule. They're under Roman rule. See, Caesar Augustus was over here in Rome and he had a king, Agrippa, under him that watched over Judea. And under King Agrippa were further governors that governed the people of Judea. So we know he he was not an appointed Roman ruler. So that throws that out of the bag. So the only thing that's left is that he could be a religious ruler ruler. I know it's going to feel like history class for a minute, but hang in there. I'm going to to preach in a minute. There there are two kinds of religious rulers in Judea at this time. We have the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We've heard of them, right? The Sadducees, because they're so sad, you see? Yeah? They know that song up here. (laughs) Praise God. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. So the Pharisees are, are kind of the, the elect group. They have control of the Jewish Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin you can think of like our Supreme Court. If you go before the Sanhedrin and your case is decided, that's it. That's it. Finished. Finito. Done. Over. No, no appeals. Nothing. It's over. 
And that gave them significant power. But there's something else you should know about the Pharisees. That the word Pharisee, parushin, in the Hebrew comes from the word parush, meaning separate. I know we rail on the Pharisees a lot. We rail on them a lot in Scripture because Jesus reprimands them. But what we, what we miss some, some of the times is that the way in which Jesus reprimands them isn't because that he despises them. If you look at the words Jesus says to the Pharisees, it, it sounds a lot like what God, Yahweh Almighty, said to the children of Israel. You see, the parush and the Pharisees were supposed to be at this higher standard. They were parush. They were to be separate. They were to be the ones who are separate. Parushin, the ones who are separate. So the Pharisees literally were founded on a love for holiness and separation. That's what they were founded on. That's the Pharisees. The other side, you have the Sadducees, the Sadducees. And they were, how you, you could say, the, the fashionable thing to do in society. They were the forward-thinking ones. But here's the real truth about the Sadducees. They didn't have control of the Sanhedrin. So how they thought they were going to get their control was to buddy up with the Roman emperor and the Roman governors and the Roman king. And their thought process was, if we can just be a little bit more like Rome we'll be able to get a little bit of their power. The thought was, we can still believe in God, but if we can walk like the Romans walk, if we can talk like they talk, if we can just blend in a little bit, maybe we can get something that they have. Better be careful with that line of thought because you're going to get exactly what they have. When you look into rich young ruler, uh, study the word in Luke chapter 18. The story is also repeated in Luke 18. The word for ruler is archon, which has two main implications. One, that whoever is an archon is part of the Jewish Sanhedrin. The second implication is that he is a Pharisee. So just follow me for a second here. We have a rich young ruler who grew up in a house that loved Holiness. We have this young man who every day of his life he heard his father talking about holiness and about separation. In fact, his own name, what he was called, he was called a parushin. His own name meant he was one who was separate. In Mark chapter 10 and 21, it says that this young man runs to the feet of Jesus and kneels before him. And Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Could it be, church family? Could it be? That the holy God of Israel, manifest in the flesh, looked down on a young person with a love and a desire for holiness in their heart and loved him. Could it be that the holy God manifest in flesh looked down on this person and said, you know what, there's a couple things that we need to straighten out. You don't quite have everything together. There's some things in your doctrine that we need to work on. But as long as you've got a love for holiness in your heart, there's something that I can do with you. There's a use I have for you. As long as you have that holiness and that love of separation burning in your heart, I can use you. Why don't we read any stories about the young Sadducee that runs up to Jesus? Can I tell you when you're too worried about trying to blend in with Rome? When you're too worried about trying to blend in with their entertainment? Too worried about trying to walk like they walk? When you're too worried about trying to talk like they talk? You're going to be too distracted to recognize the manifest presence of God standing in front of you. Oh, y'all ain't going to preach with me on this part, are you? 
Could it be that there were some people who were so distracted and so worried about the things that look good to their eyes, the things that seem good to their hearts, trying to walk like Rome walked, trying to talk like Rome talked, that they gave up on holiness, that they gave up on separation, and they didn't even recognize the holy God manifested in flesh standing before them. They said with their lips that they served God. But in truth, they were ashamed of him. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 1, believe verse 26. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What does that mean? That means that when he's walking in the streets... He's going to preach Jesus. It means that when he's sitting in the prison cell, he's going to preach Jesus. It means when he's standing in the synagogue, he's going to preach Jesus. When he's standing before Caesar, Augustus, he's going to preach Jesus. Church family, can I humbly submit to you tonight that I am not ashamed of holiness. Why? Because it gives me favor in the sight of God. What does that mean? When I'm walking down the street, I'm going to have a love for holiness. When I'm walking on my vacation, I'm going to have a love for holiness. I'm standing behind a pulpit. If I'm standing before the President of the United States, I'm going to have a love for holiness. Why? Because holiness gives me favor in the sight of God. I don't know if you can tell by the the way I'm dressed tonight, but I, I don't get my fashion tips from a leftist liberal magazine with an agenda to feminize today's men ran by homosexuals. Say, preacher, that's a little harsh, don't you think? I don't think so. Go on GQ's website. This isn't a slanderous post. This is an article published on GQ's website in 2017, in June of 2017, by a man named David Comp. It's called, It All Started Here, The Gay Legacy of GQ. Read that article. It'll open your eyes to some things. They talk about how the models would come in and they would be intoxicated with the power because all the world was looking to them and they had control. Read it. It'll it'll open your eyes to some stuff. Church, I don't look to Rome to validate how I'm going to walk and how I'm going to dress. I'll tell you where I look. I look to my man of God and I say, can I think, can I see my man of God wearing that in the pulpit? Can I see him wearing that in the street? Can I see him wearing that walking down the street? Man, it's all right to look like men. It's okay to talk like an apostolic man, to walk like an apostolic man. Young ladies, can I tell you tonight that it's okay to be apostolic? It's okay to look apostolic, to dress apostolic, to be apostolic. It's all right. Can I let you in on a little secret tonight? There is nothing more attractive than a beautiful modest, godly, apostolic woman. Let me tell you something. I found the most modest, the holiest, the most prayingest woman I could find, and I married her. Why? Because she had a love for holiness inside of her heart, and I didn't want to have to look over and say, Honey, could you pull your skirt down a little bit? I'm trying to preach on holiness. Honey, could you pull your shirt up a little bit? I'm trying to preach on holiness. Honey, could you make sure you wash your face before church? I'm trying to preach on holiness tonight. But I got a woman who has a love for holiness in her heart. Why? Because holiness gives us favor in the sight of God was the rich young ruler perfect no 
there were some things in his life. He had tied himself to some things that, that ultimately prevented him from stepping into the will of God for his life. But at the end of the day, there was a love for holiness in his heart. And God looked down and said, I can use that. The rich young ruler, the young man who by the favor of God had been elevated to the highest council in his country. The young man who by the favor of God had riches and wealth. The Pharisee boy who had influence and power. All while he's still a young man. He runs to Jesus and kneels before him and asks, Good master, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus looked on this man and thought, I want him. I've got a use for him in my kingdom. I can't fulfill everything that I want to fulfill in this country without him. And as Jesus stood there talking to this young man, he saw a future for him. Mark 10 and verse 19 reads, Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, I've done all of this. Jesus, beholding him, loved him, said unto him, One thing you lack. It says he was sad and he went away grieving. You know, it's easy to look at the rich young ruler and say, Well, he just didn't have any faith. That's the easy thing to say, but it's wrong. It's the easy thing to say because if I can say that he didn't have any faith, I can picture myself as someone who I profess to have faith in his position and see things ending differently. I can put myself in his shoes and say, well, if I was there, I have enough faith, I would have followed Jesus. But that's simply not the case. I believe that he did have a portion of faith. He looked at Jesus and said, all these things have I kept from my youth. What does that mean? He's still a young man. Well, from the youth means the age of accountability. And in Jewish custom, the age of accountability is 13 years old. So he's saying, ever since I was old enough to know better, I've done all these things. I had enough faith that every time the synagogue was open, I was there. I had enough faith that every time they were having a meeting at the church, I was there. I've kept all these things from my youth. Now Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. There's a duality to faith. Faith as substance and faith as evidence. See, when faith is my substance, it's during that season. It's saying, well, as long as it's convenient, I'll go to the house of the Lord. As long as it doesn't cost me too much, I'll keep going to the house of the Lord. As long as it doesn't drastically change my life or put me on line or on risk, I will go to the house of the Lord. See, as long as the championship game isn't on Sunday, I'll I'll be in church. I'll be at the youth rally as long as my Netflix finale isn't the same night, all right? I'll, I'll be there. As long as everything is easy, I'm going to be there. As faith, as substance. But can I tell you that there comes a time when you have to have something more than just faith 
as your substance. There comes a time when God begins to nudge you and God begins to push you a little bit and he says there's something I need you to do. I need you to reach out in this community. There's some lost lives that need to hear my word but you're going to have to step out on something. Your faith as substance isn't going to be enough to cut it. You're going to have to get some faith as your evidence. You see when I use faith as my evidence it's me saying you may not see how this is going to work out. You may not see any futility. You may not see any work in my workplace. You may think my family is a lost cause, but faith is all the evidence I need to say. Thus saith the Lord. He is going to bring in a harvest. All I need is faith because it's my evidence that God will be faithful to his promise. Well, we, we um, Brother Brian Lykin and I started a campus ministry at Indiana University and it was a struggle in and of self just getting it ran up. If you know how liberal IU is, you can imagine how fun that was. But there was one particular night where I was preaching in the student union. There was about five of us. It was me, myself, and I, and Brian and Chloe. And that was all five of us. And I was just giving it all that I had. And then I see a janitor come across the door. I say, all right, okay, God, what are you going to do here? I'm kind of looking. I kind of stop. I kind of give him a nod, see what he has to say. He looks at me. Because you're preaching in the halls of Sodom and Gomorrah. And walked off. I thought, well, that isn't particularly encouraging. But all right, if, if that's what I'm doing, I'm not going to stop it. I, I don't know if he'd believe me when I told him that just a few weeks later, we started having a, a couple Islamic students start coming to our Bible studies. And over the course of the next month, we had 12 devout Islamic Turkish students coming to our Bible studies. And I can tell you to this day, I will never forget this. Sitting in the apartment of Ahmed, sitting on his couch, he's got his little laptop pulled up, and he's showing me videos of the sacraments that he used to go to. And I'm like, wow, this is, what have I gotten myself into? This, oh my Lord, help me. And I'm sitting there, we're watching all these guys running around in circles. And he stops the video, and he looks to me. He says, Jordan, I stopped going to our sacraments because I couldn't feel anything and it blew me away just sitting there looking at him I said okay where's this going I said Jordan what does your God feel like let me tell you what I preached the next service the two nights later. I preached on what God feels like. And can I tell you, he stood there as we began to sing and we began to exalt the name of Jesus. And he lifted his hands and the glory of God began to pour all over him. Can I tell you that just a few months later in our night of worship service on campus, when they said you'll never make any headway, when they said you're preaching in the halls of Sodom and Gomorrah, that as I stood there and I preached out my guts, I watched a young man stand up who had no experience with Pentecost, lift his hands and begin speaking with other tongues. Can I tell you that I didn't need their approval? I didn't need them to tell me it was possible. I had something more than convenience faith, but faith as evidence will see God manifest in this city. It doesn't matter how many times they tell you, you're never going to reach your family. It doesn't matter how many times they tell you, you'll never reach this city. We need some people who are willing to stand up and say, I don't need your approval. I don't need you to tell me it's going to work. I've got something down in my spirit that's not going to fade away. I've got faith as evidence. And it says we are going to see revival in this city. Faith as my substance and my evidence. 
is me being able to look back all my life and see that everything I've ever been through, every trial, every success, everything I've ever been through was God preparing me for this moment, getting me ready for my destiny. See, before the rich young ruler could step into his destiny and fulfill his calling, he had to have more than just a substance kind of faith. He had to have enough faith to let go of some things that he was trying to hold on to. And this is exactly what we see Jesus talking to this young man. He says, there's one thing you lack, bud. Here's how you're going to get it. Go your way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. He comes to Jesus looking for anything he can do to be saved. He says, God, what can I do? I'll do anything. And watch the response of Jesus. If you want to be used by God, if you don't take anything else from tonight, take, take this. If you want God to use you to reach your family, if you want God to use you to reach this city, asking the question, God, I will do anything, it's not going to cut it. Because he's going to look right back at you and say, I don't want your anything. I want your everything. He said, sell everything. How many times will we come before God and say, God, I'll do anything. When God's saying, I don't want your anything. I want your everything. I want you to sell out. I want you to take up your cross. I want you to have the kind of faith that doesn't matter who I tell you to go talk to. It doesn't matter what restaurant you're in, what waiter you have, what waitress you have. I want the kind of person who's willing to say, ah, whatever it takes, God, I'll give you everything. Pop quiz. How many times did Jesus... Say the words, come follow me to someone. I'll name you a few. Peter, James, John, Philip, Thaddeus, Bartholomew, Thomas, James, Matthew, Simon, Judas. All disciples. Jesus. This was an invitation from the very mouth of God to be a disciple. Jesus just extended an invitation to this young man to come and follow him. To come and develop a personal relationship with him. But here's what he didn't realize. At the moment he turned and he walked away. At the moment he decided to turn and walk away from Jesus that day. That he would disappear. From the face of scripture. We don't ever find another instance. Of the rich young ruler. We don't read about him again. Church, I, be, I believe in a God of second chances. I really do. I want you to know my spirit tonight. Know my heart. I believe in a God of second chances. I, I believe it doesn't matter how far you think you are from God. doesn't matter what mistake you made on the way to church tonight. The farthest you are from God is however long it takes you to get from that pew to this altar. I believe that. Second chances, third chances, fourth chances. I believe in that. But, but I wonder if we have preached God a God of second chances so much. That we've missed, we don't always get a second window. All right. The rich young ruler got one shot. He had one chance. Tell the rich young ruler that he's the God of the second window. There are some people that God prepared him to reach. There are some people in Judea, among the Pharisees, in the Sanhedrin, that God had specifically prepared him to reach. He had a window to reach them. He had an opportunity to reach them. But when he turned and walked away, he missed that window. And there were some people 
who maybe never got to hear the life-changing message of Jesus because one man turned and missed his window. Church family, recognize tonight that regardless of where you are in life, regardless of what job you work, where you are, what you are doing, you have a window. You are interacting with people every single day. There are going to be some people that God puts in your path that only you are prepared to reach them. And don't blink because you might blink and you might get a new job. Don't blink. They might get a new job and they might move away and the window will be over. The window will be closed. You had a chance. You had a window to reach them this was his moment this was his chance to accept every moment of preparation this was his chance to look back across his life and say God I, I realize now why you let me go through that depression God, I realize now why you let me have issues in my family. I realize now why you let me have all these things. Because there's someone in my job that's going through this very thing right now. And God, you let me go through it to prepare me. God, you've given me a window to minister to them. It's standing there and seeing and understanding and recognizing that every moment, every trial is preparation. See, there are some things that he had tied himself to. He tied himself to his riches. He was tied to his influence. There were some things that looked pretty good to his eyes and felt pretty good to his heart that he wasn't quite ready to part ways with. He was comfortable in his way of life. And even though there was a desire to follow Jesus, even though there was a desire in his heart because he comes and runs to Jesus, he comes and runs and kneels down before him. There's a desire for Jesus. But even with that, as Jesus says, come, follow me. I can just see him in my mind. This isn't recorded in scripture, but just follow me for a second. I can see him in my mind taking a step towards Jesus and something stopping. And realizing that there's a rope tied around his waist. And it's connected to all the things he tied himself to. And Jesus is saying, come, follow me. Says, that sounds pretty good. But when he tries to take a step, he gets a pull. And he yanks him back a little bit and says, oh, hold on a second. If you follow him, there's going to be some things you have to let go of. If you follow him, there's going to be some things you're going to have to let down. And it pulls him a little farther. Jesus says, take up your cross. Follow me. I'll make you a disciple. And it pulls again. And it says, hold on just a second. There's going to be some people you're going to have to let go of if you follow him. There's going to be some things you're going to have to let go of if you follow him. See, I believe there was a desire in his heart. But those things began to pull at him and say, hey, listen. There's going to be some resistance if you follow that Jesus. There's going to be some resistance. If, if, you just, if you just let it slide, if you, you can get them next time. You'll see them again tomorrow. You'll see them again next week. You'll see them again next month. There's too much resistance today. And we, we get pulled into this path of least resistance. All the while, rich young ruler is standing before Jesus. And he says, Master, I've had the best education in the land. God says, Good. I put you there to prepare you. Said, God, I have influence among all people. God says, good, I put you there to prepare you. God, I've got riches in this season of my life. I've got wealth. I'm making good money in this job. God says, good, I put you in that season to prepare you for your calling. God, I've got a good job. 
I've got, I'm making good money. I've had good education. I've got good this. I've got good that. All the while God's saying, good, I know, I put you there. Every success, everything you have in your life was me preparing you for your ministry, was me preparing you to reach somebody, was me getting you ready to reach out to someone on your job, to reach out to someone in your life. And let me tell you, church, there's something miraculous that happens when you just begin to let go of some of those things, some of those things that you've got your eyes set on or your heart set on when you let go of them and you turn to Jesus and say God not just anything but everything there's something miraculous that happens because God begins to respect that and he begins to pour out and you're going to see your family start coming into this building like you never could have imagined we're going to start seeing revival in this church like you never could have imagined but it's going to only be when we let go of some of the things of this world when we let go of some of the things of Rome Church, there's something miraculous that happens when you recognize that everything you've ever been through in your life has been preparing you for this moment. Every trial, every failure, every elevation, every success has been the divine hand of God preparing you for a moment when you would turn from the things of this world and reach out to somebody. There's something miraculous in the turn. When Jonah turned his face towards Nineveh, he recognized that he was the only one that could bring the word of God to the sinful city. And an entire nation repented before God at the word of Jonah. When Esther turned her face to the king without fear or favor of men, she recognized that she was the only one that could stand before the king and spare her people. When David turned to face Goliath, he suddenly became aware that every wolf that attacked his flock was preparing him for this moment. As David stood there and smelled the stench of the battleground, he realized that the bear he fought was preparing him. The lion he fought and killed was preparing him. As David looked back over his life, he realized that every trial, every success, every anointing was preparing him. And as he turned his face towards Goliath, a faith of evidence rose up in his spirit. And as he slayed Goliath, entire nation was saved. When someone realized that everything's been preparing me for this moment. Church family, hear me tonight. I believe the word of God is complete and infallible, full of truth from cover to cover. I believe that. But can I tell you that this book is missing something. It's missing the story of a young man who, when Jesus said, sell everything you have and follow me. That he gave up everything to follow after him. It's missing the story of the 13th disciple. Who turned all of Judea upside down for the glory of God. Don't let your story be. There goes the man who almost brought revival. There goes the man who is almost the next great apostolic preacher. Don't let your story be, young lady. There goes the the girl who almost taught the most Bible studies of anyone I've ever heard of. The music wants to make their way tonight. Don't let your story be another person who almost stepped into the fullness of their calling. Who almost recognized that God was preparing them for a moment. That God was preparing them for such a time as this. Church, I was, I was in the sanctuary praying a, a few weeks ago, and I prayed this prayer. I said, God, let me see the things that are going on in this region. Lord, let me hear in the spirit what, 
what's going on in this day. It's a prayer I pray often. And as I, as I laid before the Lord and I began to pray, I saw this darkness begin just looming. It spread over Ohio, over Indiana. It spread all over this region. And as I watched this darkness, I saw this, this shining object like a serpent winding through the darkness and, and cutting a path through it. And as I watched, I heard the sound of water and it flowed into that path. And as it flowed into that path, it followed that path and fell off the edge. I said, God, what on earth does this mean? He said, this darkness is the darkness that is covering the land in this day. And that shining figure you see is the cunning one. And he comes and cuts a path of least resistance. And all the people fall into it. And the end thereof is death. And destruction is the path of least resistance. But as I stood there and I watched, I saw the sun begin to rise over that water. And parts of the water began to be lifted up to the heavens. I said, God, what is this? And he said, there are going to be some who refuse to go down the path of least resistance. Who turn their face towards me. And as I watched them gathered up, I saw them begin to be sent back down to the earth. As a great and mighty rain. And it began to wash away the darkness. Let me tell you something tonight, church. That the word of God coming to this church tonight. Is he desires to send revival in this city. But it's only going to come when some people turn their face from the path of least resistance and turn to God with the love and a holiness in their hearts. Second Chronicles 7 and 14 says, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin and will heal their land. You throw verse 13 up there for me. I never saw this. I always wondered, what? what does heal your land mean? He says, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. And if my people will turn from the path of least resistance, will turn from having their hand grasped tightly on the things that look good to their eyes, turn from having their heart set on the things that seem good to their hearts, if they'll turn to me, if they'll seek me in effectual, fervent prayer, I'll heal the land, I'll send a rain down, I'll send a downpour of apostolic authority and revival. Church family, these altars are open. This revival will start with you if you will turn, if you will seek God, if you will humble yourself and pray. God will send revival to the city. And I believe it's going to happen through you. I believe it's going to happen when you recognize that this is your window. God's given you this window of opportunity to reach somebody. He's prepared you for this very moment. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. There's too great of a need. There's too great of a harvest in Anderson. We have too many open seats. We have too many empty seats in this church for us to miss the window that God is putting before us. If you don't have the Holy Ghost tonight, if you've never spoken in other tongues, don't miss your window. This could be your night. This could be your opportunity. If you've never been baptized in the